Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome to an entire week of bonus episodes titled Carry Out in Corona. Of all the conflicting information we're receiving these days, I'm having the most difficulty reconciling the call to support small local businesses with the command to stay home. Is it possible to support small restaurants without contributing to the spread of coronavirus? I felt the best way to answer this question was simply to hear the stories of small food-based businesses in crisis and ask them. As I listened back to my interview with Josh, it slowly dawned on me why I enjoyed it so much. He's kind of like that movie dad. Everyone in the neighborhood goes to him for advice because he'll tell it to you straight, but he also gives you a lot of hope and you walk away knowing just what to do next. After over 20 years running operations for high-end restaurants, celebrity chef-driven ventures, and national corporations, Josh has made a career of helping owners and chefs be their best. He now moderates a Facebook group giving free advice to over 6,000 owners. He runs an online community sharing more advice. And he's recently launched an app aimed at helping the hospitality community recover when this crisis is over. After a heavy week, I'm thrilled to share his sage and comforting words with us today. Now, I'm in D.C. Where are you? Oh, I'm jealous. I used to live in D.C. Did you? Yes. I used to live on uh, P. Okay. So you lived there or you worked there? Both. Lived, lived there, worked on the Hill and in Georgetown. And all. so initially my first job there was I worked for the Occidental. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I managed okay. that. And wow. then from there went to the Daily Grill, which we had a few locations around mm-hmm. DC, Virginia, Maryland. And then I actually went to work with Chipotle. Really? That same Northeast quarter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I say I'm in DC, I mean the vicinity. <laughs> I'm oh. actually in a Maryland suburb. I'm a good 45 minutes north. Very yeah. good. Well, that's the joke in DC. When people tell you they live in friends yeah. <laughs> in Virginia and you're like, that's not even a Metro stop. <laughs> yeah. So you alluded to this. You've spent a career not only working in the hospitality industry, but also supporting and advocating for the industry. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about your career path? Okay. Initially spent, oh, a little over 20 years in restaurant operations mm. um, in various cities uh, and various segments, mostly on the East Coast. Mm. Everything from pizza and burritos to celebrity chef-driven ventures. And, okay. and then uh, really left the four walls and started getting some experience outside the four walls in terms of total kind of seeing how the deals come together. Um, hmm. From a commercial real estate standpoint, I spent some time in commercial real estate, uh, boutique investment banking mm-hmm. um, with a small but hospitality focused firm in Philadelphia and okay. and then just kind of panned back from everything. But because of, you know, you, no one that spends 20 years in the restaurant business develops a passion for it. Uh, it it's the passions there. And that's why you spend 20 years mm, um, because it's hard. It's hard work. You have to love it to do it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a disease. And <laughs> I mean, it's a disease. I think not necessarily. I shouldn't say that, in a, especially at this uh, point in time. Mm. But it's really 
something that goes into your general makeup that I think is built upon a empathy and uh, an emotional codependence mm. that um, is paramount if you're if you're going to stick with this. This Can't is work. for or an empathy for restaurants for their customers or for operations and managers for the owners of restaurants. I think you generally have to be emotionally codependent for <laughs> your staff, uh, mm. for the guests, uh, and for the community in general. I mean, mm. and and some people say it's uh, Italians or Jews or Greeks, but really anyone that's within five generations, a lot of people in a lot of cultures, when they leave, um, a way to hang on and tell the Absolutely. story and maintain that connection with your identity is through food. Absolutely. And, um, I think it does get watered down a little bit as each generation is here in this country a little bit longer. And sometimes it doesn't, but generally speaking, I think it does. That's why I think you find a lot of second through fifth generation Americans mm. in the industry. Mm. Mm. Yes. Interesting. And I think also, um, Returning to that word empathy, I think for some segment of the population, food really is a love language. Absolutely. And yeah, and if you have that love language, if you speak that love language and you get into the hospitality industry, it's hard to get out because, and that's where that codependence comes from. You can't stop speaking love to people, even if you're kind of bleeding, I guess, on the side. Right. Yeah. That's a bit of a masochistic <laughs> existence, I think. And exacerbated terribly by the current circumstances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so after uh, I, I kind of took that corner and started panning back outside of the restaurant's mm. four walls, I, I needed to have that direct connection again inside the mm. four walls. Um, and so I started doing a lot of consulting and making a website where managers sort of send in questions and I share long form specific answers to specific issues, whether it's a question or a problem or somebody just needs an extra set of eyes on something. Mm. Um, and then uh, I also moderate a restaurant owners, operators and managers Facebook page, which is more conversational, interactive advice. Mm -hmm. Um, but the meat of my time, I think now is spent on an app. Um, mm. it's a restaurant recommendation app where you answer questions and privately review restaurants in order to feed this AI software that mm. then tells you which restaurants match your own personal taste profile. Really? So is this the first time that you've, so you've always served customers in the sense of um, you've helped restaurants be their best to serve customers. Is this the first time you've ever directly interfaced with customers and served, you know, served them directly? Consumers? Well, I guess you could look at it either way. We're mm. providing a service that's specifically suited for guests and mm -hmm. that we're um, personalizing the experience more. But yeah. at, at the same time, in doing so, it's kind of inexorably linked to mm. restaurants benefiting them because our our, our mission and interest is aligned with a rest, any restaurant's mm. mission in creating a more personalized experience. And we're working on this as an 
um, not just a, as an alternative to public review sites, mm. but um, really as a way to help accelerate the recovery by increasing the number of satisfied guests that yeah. are in the seats and, yeah. and decreasing the amount of time, energy, and, and money Right. That a lot of independent operators have to spend on managing their online reputation. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a dating app <laughs> for restaurants and guests, and any good dating app, uh, it it worries about chemistry, making the right fit. Absolutely. So we take mm. the bias out of it and we computerize it. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah, that seems like you said a great service for both guests and restaurants, because then restaurants can do what they do specifically the very, very best, and they can worry less about making everybody happy, which we both know is impossible. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you've always been in the operations side. You've never really been on the culinary side. You didn't go to a culinary school. You weren't a chef. You've always come at this from a very business standpoint. Mm -hmm. Never. Uh, I've worked in the back of house. Um, mm-hmm. I've never been a chef. I've worked my way up from my first job was, uh, or my second job, I should say, was dishes. I mm-hmm. begged to wash dishes and work in the back um, and wow. work through the line, all stations. I've, I've never been a chef, never been trained to be a chef. I've held down a, a few kitchens for a while, mm-hmm. chefs, while I sent chefs on vacation. But, oh. <laughs> uh, but no, I never went to Cornell, never went to culinary school, uh, yeah. never studied hospitality, but was always really, really lucky to be working with people who did. And not only people who did, but people who had so much experience under their belt and ideas in their head that I always felt like I was the one sort of poser that was allowed to be in the group and listen and learn and get better while everyone else was just practicing their craft. So mm. um, I worked with some incredible, incredible operators and in some mm. of the nation's most highly regarded uh, restaurants, both corporate and independent. So mm. yeah, very lucky. Mm, well, I'm sure that if I was on a chat with any of them, they would say the same for you, because it sounds like what <laughs> you've made a career of doing is enabling people to do what they most love to do. And you give them some of the strategy and the know-how to do that so they can really focus on their talent and their their passion. Yeah, it's all about making people happy. And if mm. uh, if you've been in the game long enough and you care about that, mm. you just absolutely hate to see anyone who, uh, you know, is suffering financially or otherwise mm. because uh, they didn't have a resource that you had or they fell victim to someone who was taking advantage, taking advantage of them. Or, right. you know, you just you just try to be a resource and a mentor for people. Um, or just an extra set of eyes or pair of hands for people that could benefit from it. Absolutely. What a great career to help people be their best. Um, so like you said, it's been over 20 years you've been in this industry, right? Unf- yeah. <laughs> I, I keep thinking the 90s wasn't that long ago or the 80s. Yeah, even, I know. I guess it was. <laughs> When we were all watching Friends. Yeah. <laughs> so can you think of any other time when the entire industry was challenged in the way that it is right now? Uh, You know, globally in the way it is, I can only say, or at least uh, nationally, the recession was pretty tough for a lot of folks. 07, 09, those were pretty tough years. And um, 
every, a lot of a lot of outlets got leaner and meaner. Mm-hmm. Um, but when times because when times are good, you know, they're forgiving and uh, you can make a lot more mistakes and you could be running a, not at optimal efficiency and still turn a profit. Yeah, um, I can't recall anything. Every, any other time would have been regionally where uh, it was market induced stress, but never a time when it was global like this. Mm-hmm. And probably tell me if I'm wrong. I, I I don't know anything about the industry, so I may well be wrong. I think what. Well, well then I'm absolutely right about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't know anything. I am right about everything. Um. Really, I'm in awe of the people that I've been interviewing over the last two days in the way that they have pivoted, adjusted, responded so quickly. We're talking about like in less than a week, it went from this isn't that big of a deal to you have to shut down. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I think you'll find that any experienced operator. And I say experienced because a lot of people will read a book or take a class or say, hey, I, I was successful in business with uh, with a different kind of business. How hard can the restaurant business be? And there are anomalies. There are people who find great success, whether it's luck or skill or a combination of the two. Yeah. But any experienced operator knows that you have to be able to take care of the fires you know are going to spring up and the pitfalls you know are going to be there because you learn from experience or from somebody else who had experienced and on their dime. But you you have to prepare for those things because if you do, then you're able to handle the things that no one can ever foresee coming. Interesting. And if you're not, then you're too busy taking care of those things when you're someone throws another ball and you're juggling nine. And, and mm. it's just a matter of time before you drop them. I mean, yeah. Restaurants are already, by nature, um, a very organic, living, breathing kind of business that mm. requires not only planning ahead uh, and high, uh, a high set of organization and procedures and, and processes, but it's, it's living and it's breathing and it's always changing. So you constantly have to be flexible, not only on a daily basis, but on an hourly basis, because you're dealing with human components that are are very often unpredictable <laughs> you're dealing with varieties of economy and of uh, nature and weather and so mm-hmm. many things that are out of your control that um, orchestrating that all whether you're um, an owner operator or a general manager or uh, an executive chef you've got to constantly be adapting and, and moving your people and moving your product and moving mm. your processes it's, it's a very fluid type of business. And mm. I'm not saying that many others aren't. I look at everything like a restaurant because it's all yeah. I know. But there are mm-hmm. probably many other fields that are like that. But I think that you're going to see right now, and I'm seeing right now, is that strong operators that get that mm-hmm. and that run their businesses that way, they're challenged by it. And some are even masochistic enough to appreciate the mm. challenge and thrive even more in it. I mean, mm-hmm. we just this morning talking with a lot of operators about make, make at home meal kits and beverage kits and mm. um, packs like that where, and th- there are people with lines around the block down the street 
Um, they're complaining. They are asking for help and now how to handle incoming calls, even with adding extra lines and how it's spacing out the business. And we're seeing across the country and some some operators outside the country that I'm speaking with, we're looking at 20 to 85 percent increase in delivery and takeout yeah. Um, yeah. sales. And I mean, it's just that requires a lot of work, but it also requires the ability to be motivated by the challenge as mm. opposed to conquered by it. Yeah. Yeah. That's you actually are explaining something. You're giving me some clarity here because I really am astounded by how quickly people are adjusting to this and how successfully and how creatively. And it sounds like what you're saying is that people that really succeed in the restaurant business are uniquely skilled to adjust. It's a demand of the business. You're not going to make it if you can't constantly and rapidly adjust. So really good restaurants and operators are uniquely positioned to respond to this crisis because they do it regularly. Right. It's it's the people power, the people that are, you know, when you have the right people in the right places, they are Mm. equipped. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're equipped to fight and fight a good fight. Uh, That's not to say that there are unique challenges to every outlet and every unit um, that sometimes fighting that good fight isn't enough. And you need to know when to tie off the wound because you're not going to get the blood back in the body. And sometimes you just have to mitigate your losses. But Mm. yeah. um, And that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. So again, for those of us outside, and I've never worked in in a restaurant before, um, for those of us on the outside, the challenge is people can't go in and sit down at restaurants. So let's start with that. Take me from there to this kind of domino of challenges. Tell me maybe even about some of the not so obvious ones that owners are having to work through. And we'll have to ultimately conquer in some way to weather this storm and even come out on the other side. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, <laughs> in my days doing this, it's a lot. Um, mm. But if I had to give you a few of the top off my head, I mean, mm-hmm. first and foremost in in every operator's mind are, is, is their family, their staff family, mm. uh, the people that work for them, the people that live with them, the people that they spend more time with than their own, you know, birth mm. and marriage families. So, um when people can't sit down at your restaurant, that of course, in fact, uh, impacts labor. Yeah. Um, but just because you cut your labor doesn't mean you don't have any other bills. You have your rent. So learning how to negotiate with landlords, mm-hmm. um, and how to approach that situation and understand that situation is paramount. You have utility bills and loan servicing. Um, now utility companies from, phone and cable to electric are forgiving and they they are running a lot of programs in i don't want to say in every state but every state where i'm working with folks um, where they're pausing or putting things on hold but you also have product Mm -hmm. and you know maintaining product a lot of product is perishable Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of product whether it's alcohol or you know um fountain soda syrup, things like that. You can't just close the door and lock up and leave and it'll be good. You know, the syrup can draw wildlife. The Mm. beer, even in kegs, will go flat. Mm. Um, The alcohol presents a bit of a a potential looting issue or crime Mm. prevention. So, you know, Mm. you're dealing with a lot of costs 
that are going to keep coming. And regardless yeah. of what the current administration does in terms of aid and loan and relief, there, I, you know, the over the number one thing that I keep stressing is that look, no bank and no vendor is in the business of assuming ownership of restaurants. It's not just one restaurant or a handful of restaurants. You're talking about every restaurant in the region. The bank doesn't want to own everyone's restaurant. Yeah. The yeah. bank doesn't know how to operate restaurants. The yeah. bank doesn't want to get in the business of then selling restaurants yeah. after this is all over. Um, hmm. So although there might not be adequate or realistic solutions right now, they are coming. They have to mm. come because although it's cliche, small business is too big to fail. It just yes. is. I mean, you can't expect any other entity or entities to take them all on. I mm. mean, so, um, you know, well, that's certainly a hopeful outlook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, we're all in this together and, and yeah. not just the fraternity of people who know what it's like to be a deaf musician and, and, <laughs> and constantly provide a service for people that they don't often get to enjoy themselves. Mm. This, we're all in this together in every industry from retail to lending. I mean, everyone has a boss. Everyone has someone that they owe or are collecting from or relying on them. So as this trickles down and out, more people, I think, are going to be more understanding and and realize that they need to do something that's workable. And if whatever they present is not workable, they need to, like a restaurant operator, adjust and mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. and overcome. It's military. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to, you know, it's funny that you just said military because I was thinking, what a rallying cry, though. Um, let's let's turn then to us as consumers, um, because I think a lot of us, the reason that I decided to, you know, kind of put my normal podcast on hold and do this series of is because I'm not alone in feeling this really, truly ethical dilemma between I want to help my local small restaurants, but I'm being given these incredibly mixed messages from governments that are keeping restaurants open, but also telling me never go out unless it's absolutely necessary and kind of implying just go to re uh, the grocery store once every two weeks, get your food and stay home. So what would you say to us as consumers about how we can help now? Should we be considering delivery and carry out as a safe option, um, not only for ourselves, but in terms of, you know, not perpetuating the disease. I'm, I, I don't like to, um, talk about politics or religion before 5 PM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let me just say this. I think it's important for everyone to evaluate their own risk and their own interest based on their profession, their family and their economics. Now, I because of my restaurant background, I have enough food and beverage in, in our home to last us three to four months. <laughs> um, me personally, I look at restaurants and grocery stores like this. In grocery stores, you have maybe 300 to 3,000 people a day touching that bag of Tostitos and then either putting it back or putting it in your cart and looking through product. 
mm-hmm. um, and and breathing something that can be aerosolized um, yep. or or large or small particulates. Whereas in a restaurant that's practicing um, preventative measures, hand washing, mm. a glove donning, not only wearing gloves, but not thinking they're magic gloves and knowing how to take them off and when to take them off yes. and, them, and wearing masks. I think that there is a far lesser chance for exposure to anything mm-hmm. if two to 10 people are managing my food instead of my food and products going into a grocery, coming out of a grocery store <laughs> and me well, having to get it. So I'm a big yeah. believer in ordering delivery and tipping well. Yeah. Tipping well, a big key right now. And I have to say, I took a trip to the grocery store last night and I don't know if the mother felt her kids weren't old enough to stay home alone, if she couldn't find childcare. I don't know. But there was a child who kind of was going aisle to aisle with me, picking things up, literally holding them to his face. And I was so on that front, I see your point. And I think it's a good point. Okay. So how about, well, and a lot of grocers are doing delivery like restaurants. So Mm -hmm. what we, I mean, what we recommend is that if you're bringing in product from, you know, commercial wholesale vendor or from a supermarket, set up a station where everything that comes out of the bag is wiped down and sanitized and then wipe down and sanitize the area that you were doing that, then wipe down the bags and then yourself. Um, because this stuff lives everywhere. Mm, mm. So besides ordering, carry out, mm-hmm. or delivery and tipping well, would you say there are other ways that average consumers can help the industry? Or uh, not the industry, really, because I'm not sure that's the job of the average consumer, but their local restaurant. How else could we potentially help? I, I think there are a few ways. I think you can, you know... Order, you could buy gift cards. You know, mm-hmm. that's been a lot of uh, people are talking about how much gift cards can be helpful. But we have a lot of operators that are looking at that as a bridge loan. And yeah, you know, I've been wondering about that. No, yeah, does it backfire? It could very seriously. I mean, you have to look at that as advanced revenue in order to pay employees and in order to pay, you know, your bills, your overhead, you can't look at it as just found money. Um, and a a few people I've seen using them incorrectly like that at like a bridge loan and it's not. Um, but that being said, buying gift cards, if you can afford them, ordering delivery and tipping well, and also inquiring with your local restaurants, if they're offering either boxes of, of staples, Mm. produce, milk, eggs, cheese, things of that nature, or these make at home kits, uh, ask them if they'd be willing to do a family style. It actually is a win-win because it decreases the cost for the restaurant owner and it increases the usability of product on your end as a home consumer. So you're saying restaurants are offering yeah. So rather than giving um, a Reuben sandwich, they might give you a box that has the ingredients and you make it. Two pounds of corned beef or pastrami, you know, a loaf of rye bread, a pint a container of Russian dressing, a pound of Swiss cheese. Yeah. 
they could give you and with instructions. And that's what I've been advising folks this week on focusing in developing these family style sized ticket home. Interesting. Wow. uh, That's very smart. That's someone who's been in the industry for 20 years and knows what they're doing. That's a very, very unique idea. And you said if we inquire of restaurants, we might just find some are doing that or are willing to do it. You might find some that are already doing it and Mm. just not. It's very tough to get the word out, even though most people, I think their FaceTime and social media usage is probably tripled um, lately. (laughs) It's still tough to get the word out uh, Mm. that you're doing that because nobody's coming in. You know, we're basically telling operators now to, you know, create, uh, go into Facebook groups, use Instagram, Facebook, wrap your car, do whatever you can to Mm. let folks know and um, and ask your staff to help you get the word out there. But sometimes the word just doesn't get through. That's the nature of social media. They decide what you see just because you're connected with someone. You don't get all their updates. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're there and you ask. Uh, if you ask and they don't, they might be willing to consider doing yeah. that because it makes a lot of sense, uh, I think, on both sides. They might say, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm glad you thought of that. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been very helpful. It's given me a lot of clarity. Uh, it really has. So, right. again, speaking to my listeners who are mainly guests, they're not mainly restaurant owners. Is there any one thing you would kind of want us to walk away with? Yes. What's that? Order delivery. And tip and well. Tip, tip well. <laughs> tip well. And, and, and when you're finished, uh, we realize that the recovery is going to mm. um, be very slow for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, you're going to want to make sure that uh, it's safe. And so I, I, I'm projecting a very slow transition back to normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, and funds are going to be limited for most of us. So um, with that in mind, we hope uh, we hope people will check out what we've built for Android and what we're um, working on right now for iOS, which is an app called Course. And it's uh, you can learn more about it at trycourseapp.com mm-hmm. or thecourseapp.com. That sounds great. How about Facebook and Instagram? Can people find you there? I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Hospitality Helpline. Okay, and give give me those uh, those handles. Oh, that's hospitalityhelpline.com. Okay. Um, on Facebook, I am Josh Sapienza. Same on LinkedIn. <laughs> Insta. Okay. Um, and uh, on Facebook, if uh, any listeners happen to be restaurant owners, operators, or managers, um, we have a Facebook group page uh, that I monitor and moderate called Restaurant Owners operators and managers. Yeah. Aptly named. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, that's great. I will absolutely include all of that information in the show notes for this episode. So I think with that, uh, I just want to thank you again for your time, again, for your rallying call. Like, I feel like you've kind of given us a little bit of hope here and definitely some very clear instructions on how to help. So thank you. Thank you, Becky. It's been a privilege. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Thanks again to Josh for helping me personally gain clarity in my confusion, but also for helping this industry that so many of us depend on, whether we know it or not. You can find all of his contact information on my website. Tomorrow, as we continue the carryout in COVID series, 
you'll hear from Fresh Farm DC, who operates farmers markets all around DC, Maryland, and Virginia, about the ways they've been working hard to keep both their vendors and communities safe, as well as the initiatives they're continuing to serve vulnerable populations through this crisis. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button now to get the three remaining episodes in this series. Also, if any of them have been particularly interesting or helpful to you, please make sure you share it with someone in your friends and family group. That would mean the world to me and to the businesses that are trying to make it through this time so they can continue to provide for their staff and communities. Thanks and have a great day, my friends.